Anybody wonder what we're talking about today? <laughs> oh, boy. Hey, listen, this passage of Scripture we're looking at today in the Sermon on the Mount, that's what we're going through all summer, things of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Jesus doesn't pull any punches. He just starts off with the whiz-banger, okay? So uh, hold on to your seats. Here we go with this one. We're going to learn a lot today. Our society, in fact, encourages at the very least, assumes promiscuity more than it did 50 years ago. We get bombarded with sexual messages in the movies, TV shows, books, music, and, you know, advertisements have become the most flagrant. I don't know about you, but I see on advertisements what a few years ago I wouldn't even see in R-rated movies. It's amazing. But I want you to realize this, that sex is not a late 20th century development. It's been around for a long, long time. And people in every generation have struggled with this one. Living a pure life is difficult today. There's no question about it. But it's always been difficult. Throughout history, there have always been cultures in which it is considered acceptable, a sign of success for a married man to have a mistress or a man to visit a prostitute or in which it was assumed that two people who were dating would be sexually involved. Sexual temptation is nothing new. That's why Jesus hits this right on. When he addressed the topic, he was not speaking of people so far removed from our experiences that his words no longer apply. They apply today. In this passage, Jesus talks about how to deal with sexual temptation, but the same principles apply to all sin, all sin. He uses sex as an example. For many people, sexual temptation is the strongest, so he would use that one, of course. If there's a sin that you struggle with day in and day out, sexual or something other, sin that just seems to have your name on it. Well, Jesus shows us how we can break the power of that sin. All sin. So there's four things we're going to look at today. Four things we can do to help break this power of sin in our lives. First thing is this. Look away. Just look away. When Jimmy Carter was running for president in 1975, he did an interview with Playboy magazine. He admitted that he had committed adultery many times in his heart because he had looked at women with lustful thoughts. For, se for several months after that interview, Johnny Carson used that statement to get a lot of laughs at Carter's expense. You can imagine him doing that. And yet Jimmy Carter was just honestly admitting to a sin that I would venture to say that most people on the planet have committed. And that is the sin of having lustful thoughts. Lustful thoughts. And we can lust about anything. He was referring, Carter was referring to a, a verse that we're going to be looking at today. Jesus said this, You've heard that it was said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
the message we get repeatedly in our society today is looking doesn't hurt. Just looking doesn't hurt. It's like they're saying, hey, just because you're on a diet doesn't mean you can't look at the menu. They say that fantasies are not only normal, they can be healthy. I've heard so-called marriage experts say that fantasies can spice up your relationship. But I doubt seriously your spouse would agree. (laughs) However, Jesus teaches just the opposite. He says that looking at someone lustfully is just as detrimental to your health and soul, your heart and soul, as if you physically committed adultery. Why is that? Well, primarily it's because when we look at someone lustfully, we're viewing that person as an object for our pleasure. It's quite selfish. It causes us to determine a person's value based on how good they make us feel when we look at them. That kind of thinking hurts us spiritually. It's the same idea we talked about last week. Last week we talked about having contempt for someone. It's the same as murdering someone when Jesus brings it up. Because we're talking about spirituality, not religion. That's what Jesus is trying to get through to us. Having lustful thoughts hurts us spiritually, even if we never act on those thoughts. Because viewing a person as nothing more than an object for your pleasure builds a barrier between us and other people. You know, it actually puts a wedge between you and God. Consider this. The first of the Ten Commandments says, You shall have no other gods before me. That phrase, before me. It does not mean God is first among many. It's not talking about an order of things. Instead, it means we are not to bring any other gods into his presence before him. So if God is with us, and he promises he never leaves us, he's always with us when we become Christians. So if that's the case, when we put something or someone in our thoughts that kind of dominates our thoughts or or stimulates us. It's kind of like a God. Well, that's bringing that other God before our Heavenly Father. Pretty serious. Here's another thing. We need to keep in mind that thoughts precede actions. If you think about, you can end up doing. Sometimes it paves the way for us to do the wrong things. So to break the grip on that sin or any other sin, we need to just look away. Turn away from it. Divert our eyes. You know, in every commentary I looked at on this passage, every scholar agreed that the Greek verb for looking refers to one who continues to look with deliberate intent. When Jesus says, if you look at another woman, he's saying, if you look deliberately, with intent. That's what I'm talking about. See, we can't live in society without being confronted with kind of provocative images or messages. But we don't have to stare. We don't have to keep reading it over and over again. We can look away. We can turn the channel. We can get up and leave the theater. Take the book back to the library before you finish it. 
we can divert our eyes to something else. We can look away. Now, I said this earlier. If, you, if you're on a diet, don't look at the menu. The more you look at the menu, the more likely you are to break the diet, right? You know how it goes. We, we know we need to work on our calories, so we go to the restaurant intending to buy the salad. That's what we're going to eat. But then we get the menu, and there's the big picture of the lobster ravioli. Hmm. Now that big baked potato with butter and sour cream all over it. Then we forget about the salad. It's pretty easy. The more we look at the menu, the more likely we are to break the diet. In the same way with all types of temptations, the longer we look, the stronger the temptation becomes. So look away. Look away. Secondly, to break the grip of sin in your life, cut it out. Cut it out. Here's what Jesus says. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Woo. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for you, your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, I don't think I need to tell you that Jesus is speaking figuratively here. He's speaking metaphorically, all right? Sin is not a matter of the eye or the hand. Remember what we've been learning. It's a matter of the heart. Gouging your eye out, cutting your hand off, won't change your heart. That's the difference between religion and relationship, religion and spirituality. Religion is just the outside. Oh, if I cut my hand off, I'll stop sinning. Jesus is just trying to say, get rid of whatever it is that causes sin in your life. Just cut it out of your life. I know about this guy who has no email address. And uh, he was getting a little teasing about it. Someone said, hey, let me tell you about this thing called the Internet. You ought to try it. Making fun of the guy. Well, he actually became brutally honest in this little circle of people he was talking to. It's kind of embarrassing. He said, I... I don't want to use the internet because I have a problem with pornography and I'm just not strong enough and I don't trust myself. Now think about that. What a way to go. I mean, this guy cut something out of his life that's pretty important these days. It probably affected his business. His kids didn't live at home anymore. They lived far, far away from him, so he didn't get to email his kids. He missed out on the uplifting, helpful material. You know, you can find devotions on, on the Internet. You can uh, order a book. You can chat with your friends. You can keep up with what's happening around the world. He didn't do any of these things. He chose not to do that just so he wouldn't risk getting trapped by that sin again. I also know people who don't have cable TV because they don't know how to switch the channel. I know people who won't listen to certain kinds of music because it just kind of lowers the, the defenses of those temptations. I know other people who have actually terminated friendships because those relationships led them into tempting situations. This is what Jesus was talking about. Whatever it is that causes us to sin, we should just cut it out of our lives. If being in a certain situation is too tempting to resist, and just avoid that situation. 
Now, will avoiding every situation take care of all sin, all temptation? Of course not. But you know what? It'll help a lot if we look away, if we cut it out. So use that to break sin's grip on your life. Thirdly, guard your heart. The Bible tells us that the heart is wicked. We can't trust it. It, it needs to be guarded above all things. We need to watch out for that. We can look away from temptation. We can avoid sinful situations. But we can't completely eliminate temptation because that desire to sin is a matter of our hearts. That's where the desire comes from, is in our hearts. We can get rid of the internet, but we still have TV. We can smash our HD flat screen, but we still have books and magazines and billboards. And watch this, other people, other people. There's no way to escape all the temptation and also be breathing at the same time. <laughs> Just can't do those two things. You can't be living and escape all temptation. In the 4th century, a guy named Andrew tried to do just that, avoid all temptation. He, he got away and he, he lived out in the Egyptian desert for 30 years. Near the end of his life, he wrote that for 30 years I was out there and he still struggled with the lustful thoughts that he went in there with. What drove him in there, after 30 years, he still struggled with those thoughts. That's because temptation is a matter of the heart. It's not even a matter of your surroundings, even though temptations can come from your surroundings, but it's really about your heart. To deal with temptation, you've got to deal with your heart. King David committed two biggies, adultery and murder, committed both of those. And here's what he writes afterward. Create in me a pure heart. It's all about the heart. By eliminating the external sources of temptation, you kind of give yourself this opportunity to focus on the real thing, the real issue, the state of our heart. Earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You remember what I said about that? Two weeks ago we talked about it. Pure means to be cleansed or to be purged. See, your heart may not be pure right now, it, it, maybe some junk got in there. But you can be purified. It can be cleansed. That's the work Jesus performs on us. He's the one that can change our hearts. Can we change our own hearts? Can you change your heart? Can I change your heart? Only God knows and can change the heart. In order for him to do that, we have to do our part. Now, don't get this mixed up. Salvation, being set free from our sins, being uh, Jesus dying for us. We're going to do communion in a little while to remember that. That's a free gift. That's a free gift. But when we get trapped in sins, and we can as Christians, that's when we have to do a little effort. We have to look the other way. We have to cut things out of our lives and, and deal with our heart. But here's the fourth thing, the fourth way to defeat sin's grip. And this is the one that we most often miss. 
or just don't do, refuse to do. We need to get help. We need help. Sometimes we need more than a self-help book or a sermon on a topic like this today. Let me take it a little bit deeper. There are many things that can grip us to the point where we just aren't able to look the other way. We're not able to cut it out or guard our hearts. Maybe the intervention of others is required. Maybe a miraculous deliverance from God Almighty. Maybe that's what we need. I know exactly what I'm talking about. Because in my younger life, I dabbled in some practices that had the potential of trapping me in very addictive, dangerous behavior. Things like smoking, drinking, drugs, to name a few. And for some reason, those things, and I can only attribute this to God, those things I pretty much stopped by just saying, that's it, I don't want any more of that. I pretty much applied the first three points of this message. But because of that, early in my career as a pastor, I was not a very good person to talk to about one of these addictions, one of these bad habits. My approach was a little insensitive because I would think, hey, just stop. I did. Just put your mind to it. You can do it. Then after a little more training, a little more experience, I realized for some people and for some addictions, it's just not that easy. Some of that experience was people reminding me about my past and reminding myself about it. I was in the music industry, so use your imagination. I was in the music industry. Use your imagination. There was a thing or two with a powerful grip on my life. I could not free myself from that. Even after I became a Christian. Really, David? You didn't get cleaned up when you walked the aisle and gave your heart to Jesus? Nope. I could not get rid of these things. It couldn't be done without some intervention, like counseling. I went through some Christian counseling. Some serious prayer was done. I'm talking maybe not even hours. How about days? <laughs> Myself and other people praying for me, serious prayer. I had this brutal, honest accountability from some great friends. And last but not least, a miracle from God. I know exactly what I'm talking about in this. That's why I believe Jesus said this. Now, this is written in Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon, but I believe Jesus told him what to write. It says, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. I like a lot of other translations that say someone that falls alone pities that person. It goes on to say, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. There are even, three are even better. Three. 
for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. I use that passage in weddings I, I uh, perform a lot, wedding ceremonies. I, I talk to the couple and say, you know, by yourselves, individually, you're not very strong. But now you're coming together and, and you're going to be so much stronger. And then the third string. I really make that out to be Jesus. Think about that. If you're together with somebody, if Jesus is also there, a cord of three is not easily broken. That's powerful. You see, we need to be intentional about defeating the stronghold of sin's grip. And we cannot fool ourselves into thinking it can happen in our own strength. Hey, I can pull myself up by my bootstraps. It's not that bad. I can handle it. Don't worry about me. Don't fall for that lie. Get help. Get it now. If there's a sin that has you in its grips, you know you can be free from it. You can be free from that power because there's a greater power, a much greater power. It can't even really be compared. You ever see... Uh, Christian dramas with Jesus and the devil fighting. I hate those. They're not going back and forth. Jesus can... There, there is no comparison between those two powers. God's power is almighty. And here's how Paul puts it. Sin will no longer control you like a master. That's because the law does not rule you. God's grace has set you free. The law is religion. Keeping the law is religion. The law is not bad. The law is very good. But we can't keep the law. You know, there's 600 plus laws and rules in the Bible. What about the top 10? God's top 10 list. The 10 commandments. We can't even keep those. 10 of them. We're going to break them all the time. That's religion. But God's grace has set us free. Jesus died on the cross, so we're free. God created us to be victorious over sin. And even when we fall into sin, he created a way to come out of that sin, to be victorious over it. Even the biggest sin of all, that one that has your name on it. Whether it's lust or pride or jealousy or anger, greed, whatever it is, you and I can be free from sin. So look away. Cut it out. Guard your heart. And when necessary, get help. Get some real help from a godly source. We're going to share in communion together. Communion is considered one of the church's ordinances. Okay? Something, not, not just this church, the church worldwide, the church capital C. It's something we do because Jesus said to do it. And, and there's one kind of bottom line reason why we do it. Jesus said it. He said, every time you do this, remember me. Now, I take that a step further every time you eat, because they were having a meal. They are having the Last Supper, the Passover meal. He said, every time you do this, Remember me. Now, don't gloss over remember me. Oh, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, I know him. He died for my sins. 
What does remember Jesus mean? To me, it means remember every single thing about Jesus. As much as you can remember and keep learning more that you can remember. Remember Jesus. When he holds up that bread and wine, he says, do this in remembrance of me. This is my body. This is my blood. That's why we do communion, to remember Jesus, not just the crucifixion and resurrection and ascension, but all of Jesus. Remember why Paul said we are free from sin's grip. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross. So what we're going to do, the ushers will come in the middle and and start uh, releasing rows one by one. The, The front half will come up here. The back half will go back to the tables there. Take your elements, go back around the side and and come on in, we'll take them together. But here's what I want you to do. While you're waiting, while you're in line or sitting at your chair, I want you to think, okay, Jesus died for my sin. Whatever I'm trapped in right now, Jesus still died for that sin. And there's ways for him to overpower that sin. If we do these four things, that's a great way to start. But start thinking about that and start remembering that Jesus died to break the power of sin and death. Would you please come? Notice the crackers, broken, matzo bread. It's got little holes in it. Jesus was pierced for our sins. He was broken 
for our sins. The blood of Christ, the wine, the grape juice, the blood of Jesus covers over our sins and washes our sins away. He set us free. He set us free. Remember that. Let's eat together and drink together. Guess what we are? We're free. What are we? Yeah. You said that with authority. I like it. Let the devil hear it. What are you? Free. Free. Amen. We are free. You know what? There was a bunch of free people this week doing that work camp. And I've seen some of them today, and they do look a little bit more like Jesus. It's amazing. (laughs) They're happy they did that. They did a lot of work. They're a little sore, but they're very happy they did that. And we take an offering. Every time we take communion, we take an offering to just give away to the community. And uh, that's going to that work camp. What we're doing today is going to the work camp. You know, we went to some hardware stores and places and worked up a pretty good bill out there to fix these people's homes. And uh, so this money is going toward that. Every time we do this, it's just to give away. It's to be benevolent and give away to people who really need it. So we're going to sing a song about being free. And uh, then you guys just plump, plop some money in there when you go out the door. And uh, let's live free lives this week, okay? Marcy, would you lead us in prayer as we get ready? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you for your ultimate sacrifice of dying on the cross so that we can be free. We can be free from that sin and those temptations that are holding us down, Lord. Through you, we are free from all of that. And we just thank you for everything that you have given us, and we look for a great week this week. And we ask for you to help show us those steps again that David taught us about today to make us free again from those sins. We ask all these things in your precious name. Amen.